0: A heartbreaker for Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships as they fall to Czechia 3-2 as a new generation of Canadians learns about heartbreaking losses to Czechia on an international stage. Welcome to Game Over International, everyone, for the 2024 IIHF World Junior Hockey Championships, a collaboration between SDPN Sports along with EP Ringside and Elite Prospects. Uh, Joining me today is Mitchell Brown. Uh, He writes articles for EP Ringside and does the videos for Elite Prospects. You can find him on X at Mitch L. Brown. Uh, Mitchell, how are you today?
1: I'm doing pretty well. That was a crazy start. I am shocked. I think that is the first time I've heard someone call Twitter X in the wild. (laughs) So I was not anticipating that.
0: Look, it felt dirty coming out. I'll I'll say that. It it felt very (laughs) weird. It's like, yeah, find this guy on X. Like, that sounds like something I shouldn't be saying. Uh, But that uh, that, that is what it is. Uh, My name is Peter Klein. I am uh, also the host, or one of the hosts, of Game Over Calgary. So I am very used to being a hockey therapist, which is basically what we are going to be for all of you today. We already got 43 people in the chat. Uh, You didn't like the result, probably. uh, But like this video and subscribe to the channel as we break it all down. Um, And Mitchell, I, I guess we'll start with, how that game ended, um, if if we were doing a live stream while that was happening, an audible gasp came out of my mouth as the, the shot deflects in off of Bonk, uh, goes past Russo. Firstly, I just wanna say, um, it is our job to, to break these things down and so we will be probably critical of a, a few of the players here. Uh, but if you're on the internet sending messages to literal children about a loss at a hockey tournament, you're a bad person, uh, so don't do that. Um, I think a lot of this is on the, the upper brass of Team Canada. We have a lot to talk about from this game, but that ending is about as heartbreaking as you can draw it up. What did you see as that game concluded uh, with Canada falling in the quarterfinals?
1: So it starts at the, at around the 25-second mark. Denton Matechuk has the puck. I think he goes to bank it off the boards to his teammate. It misses. Cechia gets the puck. They carry it back in across the line against Matejchuk, who backed off. He didn't have the ability to recover fully. And so then from there they make a little passing play. Matejchuk grabs his guy. Bonk backs off a little bit. Stancil shoots. It deflects off a stick. So it's kind of a breakdown of Matejchuk, who was Canada's best player in this game by a country mile. Um, him missing that outlet and then not being able to get the breakup, playing it a little too safe, which I don't think I've ever said about Denton Matejchuk before. And then Bonk being a little too far off his man and deflecting that shot in. Rousseau not being able to track it, but, you know, he didn't have a great game Rousseau, so, but it's tough to blame him for one that deflects in. Just, like, it's a weird angle when you deflect a puck from instead of like it being in front of the goalie's sight line, when it comes in at an angle, it can completely change the way that the goalie moves, because if it's in front of you, when it deflects, you're still going to have the initial shot prepared for you. You're still in set. You're still in shooting mode. When it comes from an angle like that, you know, it's, it's a real tough, it's a real tough save to make it catches him going in the wrong way. It doesn't feel very good. So yeah, it's, it's a tough ending. Um, It's just like a combination of things. And I think as you alluded to, you know, there were some poor roster decisions in the in the lead up to the tournament. And then there were also some poor coaching decisions, which I think we will be talking about quite a bit today.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. There's a, a lot that goes into to this one. And like that, that shot at the end, you could shoot that that way 10 times. I think it goes in twice. Like just the, the way it deflects and then it deflects off of the post and it deflects off of the post in a way that it's going to go into the net. Um, All of it just plays out in a way uh, of just absolute heartbreak. And, and yeah, Matejchuk, um, it's kind of, I mean, it's gutting for all of them. They're 18 year old kids on this stage, but for Matejchuk, it it is absolutely gutting because of, like you said, how well he played and, um, you would, you would have a better grasp of his overall prospect profile than I would, but, uh, yeah, safe does not really appear uh, there a whole lot. He is a very aggressive player, very confident player as well. Like he is, we should all be as confident as he is in his puck handling abilities, but, i think part of it too czechia while canada had the puck in the offensive zone a lot czechia there was a couple of times on on potential breakouts for canada where czechia was making life a, a little bit miserable so i wonder if there was a a little bit that in the head i, I do want to give a, a touch of credit to the the opposition as well um because i think czechia while there was a little bit of bend but don't break they they certainly didn't make it life easy on canada in this game
1: no no they came to play they were very well structured very well organized I mean, they also had a lot of turnovers, a lot of bad plays in the neutral zone that could have easily gone the opposite way. But I think when you look at their when you look at their team, they had a couple things. They had Stancil really step up. He scored the first goal and the final goal. He hasn't been much of a factor this tournament. Otherwise, Dominic Ramon was fantastic. Andre Becker was fantastic in this game. So they stepped up in the place of Yuri Kulic and uh, Matt Yusupovlev having relatively quiet nights. And they also got it from their defense, too. Tom Shabalku who plays for Valdor in the QMJHL, was really dynamic, elusive. He was on guys early. So I think overall, like, Czechia managed to match Canada through 40 minutes, or I guess through 40 minutes and 11 seconds. They matched them. The, the, the first part of the third period didn't go their way. But, I mean, they really played well, really effective, stayed with their system they were tactically strong, and I think this is a result that they earned, like it was a game that could have gone either way. So they they, they they won this, and it's going to be very interesting to see them in the semis now. We'll see how it shakes out, but I mean, they're a team that has the high-end skill to go with anyone, and as we've seen in today's game, they have the tactical awareness to do it as well.
0: Yeah, no, they are one of the, we hear it all the time in the playoffs, whether it's the NHL or the NFL coming up here, they're a team you don't want to face. Um, I don't think I'm I'm the Americans or the Swedes looking at that Czechia team and going, oh man, can't wait for 60 minutes of that in the, uh, in the semifinals, because that was, it, it just, it felt like they were miserable to play against. And in the early part of the game, Canada didn't make life all that difficult on them. Um, it, it was noted a lot on social media. It felt like one too many passes was the mantra for this team that that whole game they, they were kind of being a little bit too cute it felt like and that's how you don't get a shot for the last 12 and a half minutes uh of a period and uh, I thought for for Canada there was a little bit of white knuckling the whole time like it really got that way in the third period but there was a little bit of just like they, they were the the hockey epitome of The whole time. Like, they they just... They they looked a little spooked out there at at some points. From an evaluation standpoint, we don't want to... When you're looking at the the scouting, again, profile of a player, you don't want to over-evaluate or or put too much weight into even one tournament, uh, let alone one game or one period. But when uh, a whole team is kind of playing almost a little spooked, is it a, a bit more difficult to evaluate? Or do you just kind of throw that, out? it's like, well everyone kind of had a, a, a rough time and we'll just look at the second period. How from a, a scouting standpoint, how do you look at a period like that?
1: So I think usually when you have a tough period, it's a combination of factors that came before. And in the case of Canada, they, I mean, the people who are bringing up that they are overpassing are hundred percent. Correct. I am a guy who thinks that you should pass to create happens, but this was an extreme throughout <laughs> this entire tournament. It's, guys walking in into high danger areas and then making that extra pass to a guy who has two defenders on him and so on. And so part of the success that Macklin Celebrini had this tournament was he knew when to make the extra pass, but he also knew when to just let it rip. Like there was something very cathartic about him scoring two goals against Germany that were both just shots. Like he didn't, he didn't try to pass it. He just walked in and fired up the first one. And then the second one, he beats the goalie to the puck and then rips it from a crazy angle. So That was a big problem. And as you do like, okay, so from a tactical level, they're trying to juice shot quality in doing that. It's clearly a team wide trend. This is also how Sarnia plays in the OHL to a degree. So in doing that, though, you lose some of the, you lose some of the quantity. And there's also always trade offs. If you have a high danger chance and you pass, sure, if you get that tap in, it's going to be much better. But there's the probability that you don't. And in many of these cases, the probability that you aren't going to get that tap in is like 95%. So the trade off isn't really worth it in that case. And when you play a style that's so focused on generating shot quality, so rebounds, deflections, tap-ins, and so on, you're going to be more vulnerable to getting taken down by teams that are able to shut those opportunities out. And you're also more vulnerable to bad luck, because those are plays that are generally low frequency. And so if you can't get your, say, 10 of them a game that you're going to need to score two goals on, then you're gonna, you're not going to have any alternative. And so to tie this back to Denton Matecha. He was the one guy who realized this on the team. He came out and he just started firing everything. That that opening shift of the third period on the power play where he's like walking in, firing off a bunch of chances, then his next shift he comes out, he's creating offense. He was a guy who really sort of figured out that, hey, We need to get pucks on net. We need to get inside, take advantage of the opportunities that we had. So full credit to him. It's it's kind of heartbreaking that he's involved in that last sequence after not only did he have a great game, but he's the guy who adapted and figured out that we need to start generating more chances or start taking the chances that we get. Rather than trying to put everything into the back of the net on a highlight real passing play,
0: yeah, and it's like, well, all if you're looking at it from a Canada perspective, like, yeah, we're we're a little nervous, we're a little on edge. This is one of the biggest games we'll ever play. It's the same for that dude, too. The, the the other goalie is also having those nerves, and so put it on net, and you, you see what Czechia was able to do. Um, The the, the point shot, uh, the long point shot, like it's a good shot, and there's a screen in front, but it it's not like a, a phenomenal setup, whatever. It's just, boom, and it goes in, and then a, a chance off of the rush, not trying to do too much, not trying to overpass it. Now, he was behind the defense, so passing it would have been insane, but he's still just puts the shot on goal and it goes in. I, I think you could have learned a little bit there from Czechia to like, hey, this is what they are doing. And I, I think Canada did get a little bit better at it. Uh, you mentioned Matechuk. I, I thought like Celebrini had one thought in mind the entire time and that was just shoot the puck. But I, I do think that maybe they, they picked up on that a little bit too late.
1: Yeah, definitely. And also shout out to Nate Danielson, who uh, mm-hmm. never deterred from shooting the puck this tournament. I mean, he was Of the most of the shooters, I think he had like nine shot attempts at five on five, like he was just really going for it. And he had a real nice game on the fourth line or the third line, whatever they were listed at. So, uh, yeah, you know, you play this shot quality focused
0: game, focus on like low frequency plays. This is what happens. Yeah, and you mentioned that line. Uh, they were number three on the line sheet, number one in our hearts. They were so much fun to watch this whole tournament. And uh, I thought particularly Beck and Danielson really stood out in this game. And that line uh, got the the matchup on, on Kulic, Kulic uh, sorry for the, the pronunciation, but uh, they got the, the matchup with the, the top player on the other team. And I thought did a, a pretty good job of shutting that line down and forcing some other uh, Czechia players to, to stand out. We'll talk about some of the other utilizations of these players in a little bit and and how Canada maybe the the coaching staff potentially let this team down a bit uh but the utilization of that checking line of Beck Danielson and Allard what did you think of, of how they were used and how they were able to to execute in this game
1: so the first thing Owen Beck is i mean the faceoff master very very dependable in the defensive zone a very strong off puck player so what you saw a lot from him every game especially today is how he's able to use his body to create a little bit of space for his teammates. So it's the forechecking. It's how he pushes guys around the net, how he gets through their hands along the boards and so on. So he was opening up a lot of opportunities for Nate Danielson to throw throw pucks on the net from anywhere that he possibly could. So I think in that context, that line was very effective. They played a very smart game. They're very fast. They're not the most physical line. Danielson doesn't really hit people but he had a couple of good moments where he was playing a little bit heavier than you normally see. And so in the case of both players, I think you're looking at can they adapt to playing more of a checking line role and they both passed with flying color. So in that in that way, the tournament is a, is a big positive for them. And Brain Yeager, who substituted in there for Owen Lard at times, was also quite good. He was able to create some offense, showed more playmaking flair to his game, which we don't normally see too much. So we saw some adaptability in the lower rungs of the
0: lineup that maybe we didn't always get higher up. This is Game Over International for the 2024 IIHF World Junior Hockey Championships uh, with SDPN and EP Rinkside. Uh, Obviously a a lot to break down from this game and from this tournament. We will be answering your questions in the third segment as we do a little bit of a presser if if you're new to to Game Over uh, or SDPN just in general. Um, That's kind of how we handle things at the the end of these shows. So if you have any questions uh, for Mitchell, by all means, um, like ask away. I'll try to find them in the chat as we go along, Uh, but we'll be specifically answering questions at the end of this one. And I, I think Hockey Canada and the coaching staff have a lot of questions to answer for themselves uh given how th- this whole thing kind of played out um and i i think it kind of rings true in this last game because that, that third period th- there were times like you would look and czechia would get one chance after canada's like eight and you'd be like, oh wow yeah this game is still tied like you, it never it never really felt like a, a tie game until uh with 12 seconds left the puck bounces into your net and oh well now it's over um but it, it did feel like the the, the roster construction in general was a bit questionable, and then you, you kind of mentioned it here, that the utilization of some of those guys in this particular game was a little bit questionable as well. In Canada, I think we tend to romanticize a bit too much. The plucky, checking, hard-working guys who just grind away. Some talented dudes on this team and some talented dudes left off of this team. I guess we'll, we'll start bigger picture and get, um... kind of shrink it down a little bit. Um... What did you think of, of how Canada constructed this roster and how they were used in this game and in this tournament?
1: So the first thing that struck me every single game was they really needed another offensive defenseman. They really needed someone who could control the game from the point, activate a lot, fill space in the offensive zone, set up teammates. Now, this player doesn't have a lot of points, but he's the six foot four version of Denton Mateychuk, and they're also related, Owen Pickering. So not even inviting him to camp was a pretty big miss because suddenly you don't really have a ton of offensive floor adding him. Like, like honestly, like it probably changes the complexion of the team significantly because now you have another guy who you could play 20 minutes a night and he's going to create offensive passing plays. He's going to jump into the rush. He's going to fit what Canada does, but he's going to be better at doing those things than every other defenseman on the team, not named Denton. So that was a big miss. And then up front, obviously, Riley Height. I understand why they didn't bring him. There are some discipline issues, some attitude issues there where he can get a little too fiery and sometimes be taken out of the game. But he also has like half a million points in half a WHL season so far. So maybe they just bring him as a power play specialist and let him cook. I mean, he looks like a guy who could run an NHL power play today. So that would have been nice to have. I think Hunter Hate though, was the most shocking one that they didn't even invite. He has the Team Canada heavy hockey well being insanely skilled. He's got ankle-breaking moves. He plays to the inside. He's fast. He's a strong defensive player. Not even inviting him was a really big miss, and I think when you look at that danielson back line, having him right there with them playing that wing, he would have been able to create a ton of, a ton of more offense with them, help them create more high-danger chances, and put more pucks in the back of the net. Now as for the usage in particular uh Matthew Wood had played 6 minutes or four he played 4 minutes through 40 minutes he scored
0: <laughs> he scored a goal yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that that when he when he fired that shot i was like Look, man, I don't care about the rest of this game. Canada's working real hard to create any kind of offense. That that one seemed pretty easy for him. Uh, that shot should not be playing. I think it was fifty-two seconds in the first period. We need whatever else he does. Whatever that shot needs to be out there a whole lot more.
1: And, and Carson Rekoff as well. I mean, I don't know what more they could have wanted from Carson Rekoff. He was one of their best players in the tournament. Yeah, and he only probably he probably only played like forty-five minutes in in five games. Like, okay. I, like, I, I honestly, I really struggle with this one because he destroyed Alan Latang's the head coach. He destroyed Sarnia in their three meetings. So clearly the head coach has seen this guy cook at his best. He was creating chances left and right. He was driving the net. They wanted him to play more physical. They challenged him. And sure, he wasn't exactly uh, hitting people hard, but he was really, really trying to bring it and, and not, not giving him more opportunity ended up kind of costing them a little bit because, A, he would have had more chances in this game. But if you remember, he missed that tap-in against Germany on the power play where he fumbles the puck and then he goes to pass it. This is why you don't mess with your goal scores. This is why you don't mess with them. You don't play them. You put them in positions that they're not familiar with. Mistakes are going to add up. And then it becomes this self-fulfilling cycle where, oh, he's not scoring goals, so we can't play him. And then the confidence in that player gets lower and lower and lower. And then you introduce self-doubt. And, you know, it's just they managed him in particular very poorly the entire tournament. Um, If they just put him in the top six straight away. Let Carson Rakob do what Carson Rakob does. He's a goal per game in the OHL. His playmaking has improved significantly. He's trying to take people's heads off now because the coach asked him to do it. They would have had more success. He probably would have scored in this game. He would have scored in Germany. All the pressure that that team would have felt, especially, I mean, the, the guys feel it, right? As a player, you feel it. You You're playing Germany, and it's a close, competitive game. You feel that. If Carson Raykov scores that goal, it's only one period where it's close. Yeah. And and that changes the complexion of it so much.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And like tonight, he had a play, I think it was the third period, he had a play where he kind of dragged around a defenseman, got into the slot, and then passed it off. And you could just like you could almost watch him think out there. Like you could see the the wheels turning and like that. He, he strikes me as a kid who just has such great offensive instincts and obviously has a lot of offensive talent, but you could see, like you were saying, like it was just messing with him. Like, okay, well I need to pass this cause that's what we're supposed to do. But it's like, no man, like you just dangled one guy, one more move and you got a great scoring opportunity. Um, and I, I think that there, there was that kind of, like just kind of messing with his head and even like to start the tournament Celebrini was playing basically in a checking role and they corrected that one pretty quickly um but the, like the first game he he felt like he was caught between okay well I'm supposed to be like pucks in deep guy but I can just beat all of these dudes and and put the puck on goal and quite frankly that's something I've noticed um I've done play-by-play for a lot of minor hockey tournaments here with, with like a lot of like top talent at those age groups and even there you see like there, there's a kid who's like six foot four and shaving and he's going up against a defenseman who like hasn't hit puberty yet, but still has to jump the puck in and go after it. Like, I, I think there's a, a bigger systemic thing going on, but it, it just, it, yeah, it really did feel like they were hell bent on creating this identity that we're going to outwork everyone. And that's going to be the style of play. And it ended up being a Canadian team where goal scoring They had to work so hard to create all of their opportunities. And I I think RayConf is a a great example of how maybe there is a a few more talented guys on this team that could have been utilized in different ways.
1: Absolutely. And they could have just taken this roster, coached it a little bit differently, not messed with their goal scorers, and they would have won gold. Or they would have at least been competitive for gold. And the entire tournament felt like, man, I don't know. I don't know. And then that's when the decisions to leave people like Jagger, Furcus, Hunter, yeah. Hate, Owen Pickering and Riley Heights, so on, look worse. Uh, especially because, so I think the strange part about this is this is not the heaviest, most physical team they could have assembled. And it's not the most skilled team they could have assembled. So what exactly was it supposed to be? And that's not really an insult to any of the players who were picked. I mean, they're all team Canada level players. The reality of it is, is that there are like 50 of them at any given time. So yeah, it's just a very interesting, or maybe I should frame it a little bit differently because they just lost in the quarterfinals. It was a very poorly constructed roster and the coaching was lackluster at best.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of times, like in World Juniors when I was growing up, um, there there was always the, oh, Canada's B team could have won silver at this tournament, you know? And so you kind of could have just picked, like, yeah, I don't know, names out of a hat, and you would have won gold. That That's where Canada was, but we're not there anymore. And that's, um, I, I think, a credit to a lot of nations who, who have stepped up and have developed through this tournament and through others as well. And so now that there is a little bit more importance placed on on how they're going to um how they're going to pick these teams how they're going to assemble all the talent that they they have the options for and i i hope that kind of bigger picture moving forward they do understand that like that there is it's not just going to be able to just rise and grind and and beat all these teams you do have to create offense a, a little bit easier and i hope that this kind of is a bit of a wake-up call for canada in general At tournaments such as this to to put maybe a bit more importance on some of that high-end talent because that is eventually what what ends up winning out in these things
1: absolutely and high-end talent can appear in many different ways right we often Mm -hmm. assume that it's zero sum you have high-end talent you don't got anything else and that's not really the case there are lots of guys who can combine these things and there are lots of guys who They might not show it in junior, but when you put them in the world juniors, they're going to be super adaptable and play the way that Canada wants them to play. The idea is about finding players who can do it all, and then you fit them into the role. Because when they get the opportunity to play offense, then they're going to get more out of those opportunities than players who are checkers and you bring them to check.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so no, it's, th- th- there's obviously a lot to look at from a Canadian perspective coming out of this tournament. Uh, a disappointing result for sure. Uh, it- it's been like, f- aside from some of the Canada games that have been a little bit frustrating, it has been um, quite the tournament so far. Uh, Canada is done, but still, uh, Finland's an interesting team to watch with a couple of players that, that I think are exciting. Um, Czechia, we just saw that they have a few players to, to watch. The USA is basically filled with players to watch, um, and-, and Sweden as well. Um, just take Taking a bit of a step back from this game, who, who are some of the players who have caught your eye in this tournament?
1: Ryan Leonard has been a star this tournament. I mean, he's been the best player on his line, but maybe there were some doubts that he wasn't a play driver. You know, he's played with Perro and Smith for a few years now. You know, is he that guy? Does he actually have that offensive upside? It's over. The debate's over. He's been the most dynamic of the three. He's been the best offensive player. I mean, he plays to the inside. He's very physical. He's comically strong on the puck. He's showing a lot of playmaking. I mean, he was was having games where he's racking up tons of chances, and he's still setting his teammates up for high-quality looks. Like, what more can you possibly want? And then Frank Nazar is back. Frank Nazar is back. His draft plus one didn't go to plan. He arguably returned from injury a little too early. He's been a point per game through college this year, and I mean... Those, passing, those passes this tournament, they have been wicked. He's just ripping that puck cross-eyes perfect through seams. I mean, it the play selection, the vision, the inside play, the speed. He was a top prospect. We ranked him, I think, fifth for the 2022 NHL draft, and he's playing like that so far.
0: Um, On the Canadian side, a lot of focus was going to be on on Macklin Celebrini. Um, It's tough to improve from number one overall pick projection, uh, but it's almost like he became number -er. one-er. Like, it it felt like his stock raised, even from being the, the top in this tournament. And, like... Uh, again, you, you're going to be able to put it much more strategically than I am. But you just, you the mood changed when he was on the ice. Like you just, you knew when he was out there every time because something dynamic was happening. I, uh, I know like from, um, uh, again, I do game over Calgary. A lot of Flames fans are hoping that the team bottoms out and that didn't change watching Macklin Celebrini. Uh, whatever team gets Macklin Celebrini looks like they're going to be getting a good one. What have you made of his tournament uh, that I guess is now done? So when you're looking at prospects in this tournament, you don't want to sway, you don't want the tournament
1: to sway your opinion too much, given that it's a short sample, but you're using it to evaluate players in a different environment, a different role, different context, and you know they're across the world, it's going to be a little bit tricky to adjust, and so the guys who can really shine and pick it up right away are generally players who are going to you know you're evaluating them you're gonna think they're a little bit further along the pathway to the NHL than the other ones and I think Celebrini the question was is he going to be NHL ready next year not like to simply sign and play but to be actually good in the NHL and play and His ability to play through some adversity, his ability to adapt to the situation around him, and his ability to recognize things that his teammates and the coaching staff weren't and play to his strengths, while still maintaining that high-paced dynamic flair playmaking side to his game, shows that he is ready to step into the NHL next season and score and be effective. So that's, that's all it did. Just confirm that he's ready to do this.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that, like just, I, I was so blown away watch, watching this kid play. Um, Like you said, we don't want to overreact to, to too much from a, a tournament like this, but were there a, a couple of other players on the Canadian side who maybe leveled up for you in this tournament, uh, whether it be a, a skill set we didn't know based on a, a different role or just like we, we said before, kind of validating what we already thought about the player?
1: So the first one is probably Jake Furlong. I thought he was Canada's best defensive defender, Uh, Great stick in the neutral zone angled guys wide kept a lot of kept a lot of opponents glued to the boards He was good at matching footwork along the boards Physically killed a ton of plays made some slick breakout passes along the way He's a guy who I haven't seen a ton from in Halifax over the years But now when I go back with him My opinion is gonna be completely changed because I'm gonna see all the small little things that made him effective here And I'm gonna be looking for them right or wrong uh, in Halifax so I think he had a nice tournament the San Jose the San Jose Sharks prospect uh, and Denton Matechuk, the question has been with him what's he going to look like in the NHL and I think the answer is he's going to look like this in the NHL uh, he streamlined his game a fair bit he p- kept things simpler while he was still activating into the play you know what's the one thing that stood out about Denton is that he activated more than anyone and he never got burned for it Mm -hmm. Because he's so good at picking his spots and he's so good at making the play when he gets that puck in deep. So this is what he's going to look like in the NHL and the rich on the rich are going to get richer with regards to their defense in Columbus. I mean, that blue line is going to be ridiculous. So those would be the two guys who kind of changed the outlook a little bit or altered
0: their timeline for me. Yeah, Matejchuk was one who stood out to, to me. Um, like just like you said, like he was always active offensively, but whether it was picking his spots or like the kid can skate too. Um he can kind of mask a a few of those problems and he was one where like we talked about Canada had a bit of a difficult time generating offense he was one of the top generators it felt like when he was out there on on his shifts I liked him a lot and uh, again I I can't talk enough about how much I liked uh, the pairing of Beck and Danielson whether it was Jaeger or or Allard out there with them Um, I think Detroit and Montreal have to be thrilled with what they've seen from a couple of their top prospects in this tournament.
1: Yeah, Beck's going to slide real nice into Montreal's bottom six next season, and it's going to go pretty well. Danielson as well. Danielson has proven that he has the checking game to fit into an NHL bottom six, I think, this tournament. A little bit more physicality, and he'll get there.
0: Um, we talk about the goalies a lot in this tournament, um, Matisse Russo, this has to be a difficult one. And I, I've always said, um, as I play pretend amateur scout here, goalies are the most difficult to, to, to scout anyway. Like players, it's like, oh, good edge work and great hands, great footwork. Like is it matching footwork on the boards, um, and, and stuff like that. And goalies, it's like, yeah, I don't know. He got in the way really well. Um, I, I have a bit of a difficult time with him, with, with goalies, but Russo in general, like. I thought both of the early goals were ones he would probably like to have back. And then he made two absolute, like, ten bell saves. I think four of the five saves of the tournament were provided by him. So he makes the real difficult ones look real easy, but maybe whiffed on a couple he would like to have back. That must make for a difficult evaluation for a goaltender.
1: Yeah, well, it's the opposite of how he plays in Halifax, where usually (laughs) he's a little bit more composed. He's not really the type of guy he's going to make... The high, high-end save, he's going to just eat the puck. So, you know, I really would have liked Samuel St. alaire to get a look. Mm-hmm. I think he's been the better of the two in the QMJHL. I think he's the more dynamic goaltender. He's bigger. So it would have been nice if they gave him a chance. And because they decided to run Rousseau all four games, you know, he probably was a little bit fatigued. He wasn't quite as sharp in this game as a result. And they couldn't outscore it, which... You know, you can see how all the problems with the team compound.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's weird how it kind of branches off from this, therefore that. It's like, well, hmm, a lot of these pieces starting to to come together leading to a a quarterfinal exit. But yeah, um, blog rates mentioning uh, maybe Team Canada should have arrested Russo at some point, didn't need to play uh, versus Germany. The the Latville one was the one that felt a little excessive to to me as well. And I get like, these are goalies who will probably play four, five, six games in a row at a time with their, their junior teams or potentially at next levels too. Like that's, can sometimes be how the position works but this is such a unique tournament with all of this focus and so much on all these games like physically it's probably exhausting i would be toast but i'm twice his age um but mentally that has to just be wearing and at some point like you said that like it's tough to be 1000 sharp all the time and i, I wonder if that damn kind of broke a little bit early on for him
1: Absolutely. And of course, there's the context too. you know, you fly across the world, right. you're with new people, you're in a new environment, it's unfamiliar, it's harder to adjust, it's harder to be 100% all the time. And so yeah, they they really, really, really should have given St. Alara a look, <laughs> really.
0: Yeah. Um, All right, this is Game Over International for the 2024 IIHF World Junior Hockey Championships with SDPN and EP Rinkside. Uh, This might be the last one of these. Uh, We're still discussing uh, whether we want to do more that don't involve Canada uh, for gold medal games and stuff like that. But uh, if you got any questions, let us know in the presser now. Uh, Just send them on in in the chat. Uh, While you are doing that, it's just like a slight move of the mouse away. Like the video, uh, subscribe to the uh, SDPN Sports YouTube channel. We are so close. To 100,000 subscribers, uh, which would open up a, a whole lot of doors for us and let us do a whole lot more cool stuff like this. Um, uh, this is my second game here on on Game Over International. I've had a blast doing these, and uh, I, I don't know if uh, me getting to do a, a Czechia Finland gold medal game would, would quite provide the, the the same kind of rush, but uh, still hoping to be doing a whole lot more cool stuff like this. So let us know if you have any thoughts in the um, in the chat. Coming off of a heartbreaking and disappointing loss. For team canada here at the 2024 world junior hockey championship uh i'm peter klein you can find me on social media at primetime klein he is mitchell brown you can find him at at mitch l brown um on twitter or x uh depending on your your preference there um i guess this is one piece uh, of the bigger prospect um puzzle pie, however you want to say it. I think that the next one that a lot of people look at is the uh, the, the Top Prospects tournament, that, or uh, Top Prospects game, sorry. that That's obviously going to feature a lot of different names for, from this one. Um, but when you're looking at the, the overall prospect profile, that this is a best-on-best a best unique tournament, how big of a, a piece of the whole scouting portfolio does this particular tournament uh, kind of take up?
1: It very much depends on the player. So for European players who are generally playing professional at this age, this is an opportunity to showcase their full skill set, to remind you of who they were when they were 16 and 17 years old. And so in that case, it's a little bit more about making sure that they still have their skill while having improved other more professional parts of their game. So in that context, it can be pretty big, but if a guy has a bad tournament, you can easily just turn around and say like, look, the context wasn't in his favor and so on and so forth. So. It doesn't change it that much. It's more of a timeline thing. I think where it's most impactful is probably for kids on top teams, Sweden, Canada, United States, where they're going to play in roles that they do not play in junior or on their SHL team. And they're going to play a role that is more in line with how they're going to play in the NHL. Like look at Owen Beck who plays first line center and Peter Burrow Nate Danielson who plays first line center and Brandon and soon to be somewhere not Brandon. So (laughs) those guys aren't going to be first line centers in the NHL. So you get to see them in a role where they're going to play more of their NHL style game. And for an evaluator, it can be very insightful to see kind of where they're along on the pathway to playing that role. And as I mentioned, you know, Danielson is a guy who's probably going to have to add a little bit more of a physical edge to his game to do that in the NHL. But you look at Owen Beck and he could slide into an NHL bottom six role tomorrow and probably be relatively effective he's wins his draws he gets in people's way he's physical he skates the puck through the neutral zone so a lot of things little things like that you're trying to see how how are they adapting how does this relate to their nhl projection if it doesn't work out that's okay it might raise a few red flags but nothing major and if it does that's not going to shift the projection
0: significantly but might accelerate their timeline a little bit Yeah, I I think from a Calgary perspective, uh, Dylan Dubé was in a a couple of these. Uh, One, he was in a fourth-line checking role, and the other, he was a captain on the top line. Um, So it varies, obviously, year to year. And especially at these age groups, one year makes a world of difference, unless you're Celebrini or Bedard or even Lafreniere uh, a few years ago. But yeah, you you can really see different roles and where these kids kind of uh, fit in. I I feel like we, we focused a lot on Canada obviously uh but czechia is the, the one moving on was, was there a, a player or two that kind of stuck out uh, stuck out sorry on on their side of things so
1: andre becker whl player really impressive plays with a ton of speed i like his playmaking in particular it's not so much about ripping cross slot passes like your frank Nazar. it's more about how he cuts back finds the trailer how he cuts inside slips the puck through the next layer advances the play He's going to be a big, big, big piece for them. Like, so Sapovalev, Berish, and Kulik are their top line. That's going to be the line that's going to earn the reviews. But Becker is going to be what wins them. If they win gold, Becker is going to play a big, strong game to the inside, lots of speed. He's going to be the guy who's going to help them get there. And Edward Chalet as well, who has had some bad, some good this tournament. But I think offensively, this is the best he's looked this season. He's showing a lot more skill, a lot more patience. He's even had a couple net drives, which is not bad for a player who historically has shied away from contact. So, with this Czechia team, you're kind of starting to see all the pieces fall together. Top line wasn't so good today, but the rest of the lineup really picks it up. And now they just need to have both of the now they just need to have both of those worlds going at the same time, and they could win
0: it. They could take down the United States. They really could. Boy, that, that would be quite the story. Um, and look, look, this was a, a team that was in the gold medal game a year ago and was about that close from uh, f- from winning it with uh, with how things were going. So um, Kulik was the, the one who, who got a lot of the attention coming in, and he got a lot of attention from Beck and Danielson, I, I think, in particular. Um, not going to be, uh, I think, a, a game that he puts on the, the resume going forward, but what did you make from the player who a lot of people thought coming in was going to be the standout Czechia player?
1: So he was still quite good. I think the big issue is that he struggled with the puck in transition, which historically has been a bit of an issue for him against more physical, assertive defenders. So he wasn't able to navigate that, but you still saw the defensive ability. You still saw a little bit of playmaking from him. It was just that he couldn't really get that shot working. Uh, But, you know, uh, Team USA has been a little porous, a little bit of, Uh, You know, they make their mistakes and Sweden is prone to some breakdowns too, even though they look real smooth doing it. So, you know, I
0: wouldn't be surprised if he scores three goals down the stretch here. Yeah, he he's a player that a lot of people are quite excited about, and uh, it, it's it's very intriguing. Um, there are some people who are are taking uh, delight in the, uh, the the fall of Canada in this one. Um, someone sending it, Spinorama twenty nine uh, says, "When Canada loses, the world wins." And I get there's a, a bit of um, of trolling and chirping going on, but look, like it, it is as frustrating as it is for us, it's a whole lot better for this tournament and I I think the sport in general when it's not Canada winning five in a row or three in a row or whatever. It shows the the growth of the sport and uh, I think that's really, like we get really worked up about this tournament but it is a a good kind of litmus test to see how other nations are doing and and a good jumping off point for places like Germany, Czechia who've had now back-to-back pretty good tournaments. Um, Norway even getting involved in things like that and Latvia trying to, to avoid relegation every year and, and stuff like that uh, i think overall as frustrating as it is and disappointing for us uh here north of the border it is i think better for the sport to see that international growth and a lot of nations stepping up in this tournament
1: it's better for the sport it's more entertaining the yeah. product has never been better hockey wise i mean you got norway out here these guys came here to crack skulls and make plays like, <laughs> like they weren't messing around this tournament I, yeah. I know they got blown up but like they were physical. They were trying stuff. Like they had their bottom pairing defensemen are like ripping cross-eyes, no-look passes to like like they were really trying. And I think that's been the big difference over the last few years is that now not only are not only is the 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 difference in talent shrinking between these teams, but those smaller countries are starting to try to play offensive hockey. They're not just trying to lock it down, they're starting to try to create. And the tournament gets so much better as a result of this. Like every single game, as someone who has watched every single game. uh, Yeah, I haven't slept much. (laughs) Every single game has been good. Even, Even the blowouts have been good because everyone comes to play. Everyone
0: can make plays these days. Yeah, and like before it was just like Latvia like, well, hopefully our goalie makes 57 saves and we kick one into the net and that that's how we're going to win this game. But no, they were going right at them. And sometimes it does lead to 10 nothing Canada over Latvia. But I love even though it felt a little excessive that Latvia coach calling a timeout down 10 nothing like, look, this is what like we're trying to learn from this. We are playing a full 60 minutes. Do not get do not like no hanging heads nothing that they came right at them and I I do really appreciate that. It does feel like the sport is moving in a a good direction and I think Canada hopefully uses this as a, a bit of a wake-up call as that the quarterfinals are not usually the last stopping point for this country so hopefully there, there's a bit of a wake-up here that some more high-end talent is going to be necessary um all right Mitch this was a, a ton of fun thank you so much uh for for chatting I could do this all day but um you have uh, another like five games to watch this tournament so we'll, we'll let you go <laughs> um if people want to, to find you where, where can they find your work you
1: can head to eprinkside.com. We'll have lots of good tournament coverage. We just recently posted an article on Stian Solberg, who has been an absolute menace to this tournament. He's an interesting Norwegian draft-eligible prospect. J.D. Burke has the story about how he found hockey in Norway, and it is a fantastic read with some rather hilarious quotes.
0: It's worth checking out. And you can also follow me at mitchlbrown on twitter.com. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well, uh, at Primetime Klein. Uh, I'm the host of Game Over Calgary. I'll be back on tonight. Um, so if you thought, man, like this guy's international takes are fun. Can't wait to hear what he has to say about the Minnesota Wild. Uh, you can check me out as Calgary takes on the Wild tonight. Um, that one is going to be right here on SDPN. We got a bunch of uh, great Game Over hosts across the country for every Canadian team. So subscribe to SDPN here on YouTube. Like the video. Share this with your friends. Misery Loves Company. Um, so why not let a whole lot of other people know what exactly happened for the downfall of Canada, at least for this year, at the World Juniors. Uh, That is going to do it. Um, Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and maybe not internationally, but we will talk to all of you again later. Have a good rest of your morning, everybody.